So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome back to another double episode of The Bizzle's Daily Rebels, uh, Bizzle's Daily Rebels, which is also a double episode, one of numerous great double episodes in season four, which is a spectacular final season, episode three and four, in the name of the rebellion, part one and two with Mon Mothma and fucking Hassan Guerrero man with, with Forrest Whitaker. Uh, we have a couple of pieces of stuff directly having to do with Star Wars and Rebels and some DC and Marvel things that I need to st- just talk with Simi about briefly that came up in my Jason Ritter podcast about the state of DC. But really quickly, Simi, as I welcome you in and welcome back, you must be amped for the Saw Gerrera Forrest Whitaker extravaganza. You know, the, it, I know we've said this in some of our other podcasts, but that was one of the things that really turned me on to this show and me made too. me feel, made me legitimize it. Like we, we joke all the time. It's like, Oh, we watch cartoons and we're and the lead in up, our sorry, really quick. And just the, what he represented as the lead up to rogue one, which we love so much. Right. Right. So the fact that he was giving this clout that like, you know, an Academy award winning actor is going to, you know, go and do a cartoon it's just more fodder for what I've been saying and what you've been saying and how we can take this seriously. And, you know, coming from Clone Wars, I needed the art was different. This is the second cartoon I've, you know, invested myself in, if you will, uh, in my, in the latter years of my life, uh, my short, long, whatever you want to tell, I guess it's just all fucking relative, but, uh, we all do. We all yeah, so having him him do it, uh, as well as some of these these other uh, uh, Genevieve O'Reilly, the fucking creepy android replicant of Mon Mothma from the nineteen seventies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they the, the rest are are doing a really good job. But I mean, not only do I like the cartoon and the content, but like it's really good voice acting. Like they're really fucking good, and they're. You can feel like I know I've said this before, but you can feel them playing back and forth. And I, you know, I'd have to say I'm guessing Saw or uh, Forrest Whitaker, you know, maybe wasn't in studio, but still, like the rest of it is filling in the blanks. He's not this huge character in this. He comes in in a couple episodes here and there, and I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad he is Saw Guerrero, like he is to me. So it's just continuing my, you know, Star Wars fantasy. Look. Even if you didn't read Catalyst, even if you didn't read Rebel Rising, if you just watch these two episodes and then Rogue One, the character of Saw Gerrera 
who already made sense just because Forrest Whitaker is one of the best 10 to 20 actors of our time already made sense. This really makes it make sense to sort of the average Star Wars fan. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And and it's, again, Disney's finding a way to legitimize that, like, this is all of it's for eight-year-olds, dude, but ultimately <laughs> it doesn't matter how old you are. I mean, you know, you don't necessarily want a two- or three-year-old. I know you do, and I do, but not everybody, so you're not bad parents, but you're not the best parents because you, you need to fucking let your kids watch Star Wars more, and all of it. Back on track. Yes. You know, it, it's, just, it's just a really good show. Like, it, it's not... It's not just bullshit that we like watching because we're, you know, all Star Wars hungry. And like, right. and, and this is feeding us uh, along with, with all the new uh, movies that keep com- coming out. But um, I, I feel that between this and Clone Wars, they were able to gauge, you know, the love and fandom that still exists out there. This, I mean, you know, Star Wars is one of the greatest movies ever money-wise, you know, in terms of what they made and how many people saw it and how iconic it was. So the fact that, you know, 35 years later, it's still, uh, you know, relevant and people are watching spinoffs of the same story. Like at some level, you understand where Luke is when you're watching Rebels. Like you can mm-hmm. you can use it in the canon and it, 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 it remains consistent to uh, to really enjoy the world. And again, I always I, if you have a good world, like I will eat it up. Like, if you're consistent in your world, you have good actors, you have a good story, and you don't fucking show me the man behind the fucking curtain, then 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 I'm happy. And I, and you got me. I'm in. I'm in. But, you know, the second the world doesn't make sense or, you know, the characters aren't being their normal characteristics. All right, Timmy. So, a couple things about Rebels, a couple things about our last podcast, and then uh, you just mentioned Disney. I have to talk to you for five minutes of having to do with Disney, the House of Mouse, Marvel, DC, etc. Uh, that's related because of the quality control of Disney and specifically Star Wars, but also Marvel compared to DC and other companies. So we'll do that as a fun intro. Um, but to intro into that part of the intro, Sammy, what's great about our podcast is we do these great long intros and then we do great commentaries. And then we spend an hour talking about Raylo or Game of Thrones afterwards, and I end up releasing them as two separate commentaries. So in addition to having an amazing two-hour time with you as opposed to 45 minutes, I get two great podcasts. And I wasn't lying when I said our Raylo podcast was one of my favorite ever. Can I tell you just um, uh, one little anecdote from that? Yeah, we're getting more uh, buck for the bang. Bang for the buck? Buck for the bang? Bang for, bang. bang for the bang. Bang for the bang. I'm trying to get Money. more. I'm trying to get more bang for the bang. I don't have a lot of bang of anything going on right now. Um. So, um. Simi, remember how I mentioned in that podcast that even though Jedi Geek Girl is an unabashed Raylo, she has a very, very nuanced understanding of it. Right. Right. So as soon as that podcast wrapped, I messaged her and I said, "JGG, I you're great." And I know you have a nuanced understanding of this. You might want to skip this second part of the podcast, not because it's so offensive, but just because you've thought way more and way deeper about it and have a different opinion. And her, with a very funny set of of, smiley, of hilarious gifts, was like, "Duh, I'm not going to listen to it." It had nothing to do with me and you. She just was like, "I have so much podcasting of my own to do and everything else." Like, you know, I don't need to listen to two guys 
talk about how they don't get Raylo. And then we had the discussion about why I don't get Raylo and why people don't get Raylo. And she made a great point, which is, remember how I said there's a difference between people who are genuinely in love with Adam Driver and Kylo Ren and have a, you know, Disney-esque fantasy about it. But then mm-hmm. there's people like Jedi Geek Girl who almost has an old school Vader type approach of wanting Ben to be redeemed, but not necessarily a romance. And she says what people don't understand with the Raylo thing is, is we or some people group together the Raylos with what they call the Bendemptionists. But furthermore, she has maintained from the beginning, and I always forget this, I want to bring it up, thank you Jedi Geek Girl, that at least her in particular, and she's not alone, let's put it this way, her attachment to the Ray kylo relationship, and I believe her because she's a deep thinker and we've talked about this, is not primarily or even secondarily sexual is more to do with them being the two most powerful force users who are both extremely confused, extremely powerful, and have no idea what's going on and have a weird connection in numerous ways. And I think, Simi, at least you and I can agree that while we might not agree with the consequences of of what people think about that, that's actually a pretty good point. So... Look, and by the, the way, day, by the way, we're not doing Raylo. We're not doing Raylo for 30 minutes, but I do want your reaction. No, no, I know, I know. That. But here's got you. At the end of the day, if you're saying you want some sort of like Vader redemption, I'm down for that. You like, even said if he turned after Snoke, you could have gotten on board, which yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 totally. Like because they needed him and or not you know, turned I, on Snoke, but stayed a semi good guy after killing Snoke. And like, ran with her to go kill everybody instead of then trying to kill Luke Skywalker. Okay, guys, partial spoiler alert. And Sammy, I have to say this because you're reminding me of it. So we've seen Rey with red lightsabers looking very evilly in in, uh, some of the photos and leaked mini trailers from Comic-Con. People think it's a dream. I don't think so. I've said from the beginning that while I love Rey and Daisy Ridley, at the moment... She is the best two-and-a-half-dimensional Jedi character ever, but she's not Ahsoka Tano, and she's not Obi-Wan Kenobi. And the reason is because she always has made the right decision, no matter what, even irrationally, even more than Luke. But she's smarter than Luke. She's potentially more powerful than Luke. And because Daisy Ridley is such a phenomenal young actress and so convincing... Which, you know, I think you'd agree, it never comes off as annoying that she's always the right one, as addition to Rose Tico with the writing, which didn't always work. Daisy Ridley never comes off as annoying or miswritten as always doing the right thing. But I've said to Jedi Geek Girl from the beginning, in order to make this character a legendary Star Wars character, like Luke when Vader threatens Leia and he starts going after Darth Vader murderously for a few minutes, there has to be at least a short period where Rey goes dark. In the third movie. And Simi, even though I agree with you about the Snoke thing, that they could have already brought Kylo to the semi-good side by saying Snoke was controlling him, you know, the one leak, I this is not a total spoiler, but between speculation, his involvement, and sort of, if you look at the canon... Who's the one person who might have been actually controlling Snoke and Kylo this whole time? Uh, Palpatine. The Emperor. Palpatine. And we know he's a major part of this, whether it's Palpatine in his old form or a different form. By the way, Simi, 
well, I'm sure it's a huge coincidence that once Forrest Whitaker decided to come back and do voices for season four, all of a sudden we got Ian McDermott and all these old school actors to come do their voices, including the Emperor, who's so clutch mm-hmm. in, the, in the Ahsoka mm-hmm. episode, which we're going to get to, with his dark magic and so forth, right? Um, and, and it's so, not a coincidence. So listen, okay, this is what I think the darkness is from this Wait, really quick, before you say this, do you agree with me either that Ray needs to go dark to make her more complicated, or at least that it's possible, based not just on the leak of that photo, which could be a dream, but just looking at the arc of her character? To be perfectly honest, I think it would, I would find it completely uncharacteristic with her character. Not evil, and not purely dark, but this is, let, sister, let wait, hold I on, think- listen to me, sister, oh, Obi-Wan was wise to hide her from me. If per, if you do not turn, perhaps she will murderousness from Luke Skywalker. And yes, it lasts three minutes, and it leads to his ultimate revelation. So let me finish my point, which is Ray going dark briefly and coming back makes her a stronger light side user, makes her smarter, wiser, like Ezra, who flirts, more experienced, and also is the only way at this point to partially redeem Kylo, which is what if Kylo sees Rey go dark because of Palpatine and ends up killing Palpatine or trying to help Rey because even Kylo Ren sees how fucked up the situation is. So there's a lot of reasons it could happen. Go ahead. So here's the problem. It's I can't find the rational of why she would go dark. My theory of Palpatine. what they're doing in the Straight movie. Straight up Palpatine. Straight Manipulating up Palpatine. Her? Dude. What did I say last time? She, both her character and the actress are barely older than Hayden Christensen in Revenge of the Sith. But she's so mature in what she's been doing for her. I understand that. The writing has been better. Hayden Christensen Christensen has been babied since he was fucking, or he's been taken care of since he was five. Dude. As as, as Anakin Skywalker. Nope, 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 nope. I got to push back. Han Solo, Leia, and Luke as well as others, in various ways, have said, Ray, you're basically Neo, you're the one, for since the beginning, including the filmmakers and the writing. So, I don't totally agree with that. It's not the same as being called the Chosen One Messiah from the beginning. Why would she go... Where? She's more of a grown-up than any of the other fucking people we're talking about. She's been raising herself since she was four. Okay, Anakin got picked up by the two most powerful Jedi's in the fucking universe and was taken under their wing, and then still became a bratty fuck. Can, okay, can, can I push this? Can I push this along? Why would she, okay, just to answer this question. No, 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 no. my turn. Answer this question. Why? How Why? Do you think that the Emperor is so strong that she could manipulate? Like literally, like if, if Ahsoka is the gray, she is the light. And, and the Emperor is the dark, if that's well, the barometer. Ahsoka's uh, not actually the Grey. Ahsoka calls herself the Grey, but she keeps doing even better things than both the Rebellion and the Jedi. And that's why I continue to think Ahsoka Tano will make a short appearance, even as a Force goes to advise Rey, and that's what's going to pull her out, not Kylo Ren. Simi, I, I, I like both of your points. What, what tips her, what tips her okay. into evil? Okay. You're just saying she, she's weak and... and and, and the emperor will just manipulate. Her. I have a proposal. I have a proposal for you, and it's okay. not marriage because you have an amazing wife. But I do have a proposal for you. Okay, which is we we continue our talk about Ray, specifically about Episode Nine, Ray Kylo, the Emperor, and so forth. After this episode, potentially, 
we so, can do that. So I want to close with what, I, with what I was trying to respond yes. to with my theory. My theory is the only reason why they're putting that in there is just fucking fodder for the fans. I don't agree, it's but that's so, what everyone else thinks. That's what I think. And, and ultimately, thinks. I think that's the moment that she gives him the same saber hug that that he gave Han. Okay. Except, why does the Jon Snow kiss work with Khaleesi? It's because Jon Snow looks into Khaleesi's eyes like a true puppy dog, as if he loves her in the same twisted way that she thinks he loves him. And so to sell the lie, he has to seem truly in the moment. And so that would actually be a bad strategy by her. Unless that's just the visual manifestation of, like, you know, Neo exploding into light when he comes full power. Right. That I could say. Right. No, I just don't. I, I find it inconsistent with everything I know about the character. I want to continue that, this. That, the reason I'm stomping you I, is so we can get in the episode. No, let's go. That, and, and but also, but also because you are leading in some great directions that are related to this episode, related to episode nine that I want to save for the postscript. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that's my closing episode. Is like I just don't. Again, it would hurt my world vision of how everything's been going so far. Okay, and I'd just be so baffled by it. It, it would seem it was only created yes. to because it, in a test studio, it it, it it said that it would become a more popular movie if they went in that direction versus in another direction. Ray, other than never... that, I don't find it consistent. Like, look, like, look, it depends who's writing, depends who's manipulating. I just can't find the reason why she wouldn't want to kill everybody yes. who's yes. been fucking with her yes. and she since will. she's been given all this power. Simi, look, I Ray will never convincingly be dark unless mind-controlled. And I'm going to make one final point. I know I get the last word because of my podcast, but it's because your points are great, and I want to continue this conversation. But right, I want right, to right. clarify yeah. what I was saying before about Hayden Christensen and Anakin Skywalker. But Ray is not going to murder good guys. She's not going to commit genocide. She probably won't even be the same way Luke was only going dark for two and a half minutes before saying, I'm not going to fight you. You've lost your majesty or whatever, right? That It's going to be like that. So she's not going to go fully dark. And I agree with you with the way. That's why people were already saying Ray's going to go dark in Last Jedi. And I'm going, no way. You guys are fucking morons. I'm fully on board. My only point with Christian Hayden Christensen is... And you and I haven't done the Revenge of the Sith commentary. I have done it solo, but I did a much better version with Jedi Geek Girl. Perhaps you and I should do it. Although, I think Phantom Menace with Obi-Wan now is the one we really should do, uh, is Phantom Menace. However, Simi, my point was, the scene where Anakin truly turns, and the Emperor becomes the Emperor, and they throw Mace Windu out the window... The writing and staging of that scene is absolutely horrible. And because Anakin, I think you will agree, as a better actor with better chemistry with Obi-Wan and sort of mischievous at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, Anakin actually is more likable at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith than he is in Attack of the Clones. And so him turning immediately to the dark side, even after his various conversations with the uh, with Palpatine, is impossible to believe. And on repeat watchings, I blame Hayden Christensen for that scene Look, the scene where he turns to to Vader in spirit and the Emperor becomes the Emperor and they kill Mace Window, Windu should have gone down as one of the t- those top five Star Wars scenes of all time. Luke with Vader, Kylo with Han, but it's not because the writing, staging, and filming of it is horrible. But my point is... The only way to explain it based on performance and canon is that 
the emperor really got into his brain in more than a subtle psychological way. That's what I'm proposing for Rey, but because she's much stronger than Kylo and much stronger than Anakin in the brain, it's not going to last very long. So, as usual, we're mostly agreeing. We're just framing it differently with slightly different predictions. Okay, Simi, we're going to finish this afterwards. And, Simi, something else I want to talk about in the postscript is this isn't a problem for you. This isn't a problem for me. This isn't a problem for most of my followers. You and I celebrate this and actually get angry, and you will get angry when I bring this up. But my dude, between DC and Marvel, but especially Marvel and Star Wars, 80 to 90% of the lead superhero characters in Disney for the next five or ten years are women. And while you and I love it and could care less what other people think, for middle America... That could be an issue, but because people like Elizabeth Olsen, Brie Larson, and especially Haley Steinfeld seem to appeal to everyone, maybe it gets neutralized. You know, at some level, uh, when they combined uh, California and New York into one country, I just think <laughs> I'll have more like-mindedness with my new country in New California or, uh-huh. um, or California Orc or whatever you want to call it. So I just don't see parallels President myself. Com- Kamala Harris. It doesn't, speaking of which, right. speaking of which, introducing Kamala Khan before Kamala or Kamala Harris as president is absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, I mean, we're talking about like this massive, this small amount of people that lives between here and California. Did you see her sl- like, slow jam the news care. last night with Jimmy Fallon? Did you see Kamala Harris no, no, slow jam the news? So I thought this was the case. Not only was she, after Obama, the first president to do that bit with the roots, she was the first woman ever in 12 years of Jimmy Fallon, the first woman to ever slow jam the news with Jimmy Fallon in the roots was Kamala Harris. Oh, man. Yeah, man. I mean, it's great. It's great. So, I, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not saying that, like, I hate people in all the other states. I've been to most of those states, and I've never Southern had Southern people time. are lovely. Some of our best friends from camp are yeah, from the that's South. That's my point. I'm just saying the majority of people that, that live between here and California, not counting California and here, like they just don't have the same opinions as me. But that doesn't mean that there aren't people that are good people there, too. It's just I'm sure they don't, and I'm sure they're not listening to this podcast. I mean, uh, really, <laughs> just really quick as a personal side, we're going to get into the commentary. Some of your and I best friends from camp are from Texas. And, and Kentucky, uh, and all sorts sure. of places. But be- okay, but because of Florida, the- Florida, because- tons of people from Florida. Oh yeah, my best girlfriend ever from camp was from Florida. I mean, almost all my girlfriends from camp were from the South, Georgia, Florida, Virginia. I mean, almost all Southern girls. Southern girls are amazing. <laughs> Southern people are amazing. But Texas is just one that people know from notoriety. And while some of our Texan friends, you know, on the surface. I almost on purpose display some very Texan qualities to a person. They're all extremely liberal and I feel extra bad for them for having to live in Texas with progressive politics. Oh man. Yeah, it's, it's got, but you know, you, yeah, I just don't get it. I just don't, get it. but what are you going to do? 
All right, guys. Well, I don't know if I'm going to release it before or after, but I hope you did enjoy uh, a little bit of ranting about Ray slash Kylo, Raylo, DC Comics, House of Mouse, and so forth. Simi and I love talking about this stuff. In this case, it happened beforehand, and we're going to do the commentary, and I'll probably, almost definitely, yeah, I'll release it separately. Uh, I'm not just sure in which order, so I hope you enjoy both of them. Uh, Simi, any final thoughts uh, have you seen this episode recently, and/or do you remember it at, at all well? I remember it a little bit, uh, but I have not seen it recently. All right, guys. So again, season four, episode three and four, back to back. In the name of the rebellion, part one and two it was Saw Gerrera, played by Forrest Whitaker, Mon Mothma, played by Genevieve O'Reilly, and we really, Simi, as you as you talked about, are really getting into the swing of the, both the things we love about Rebels. And the lead into Rogue One should be mentioned to me. You know, Rogue One was in pre-production when the series started. And so the highest people like Dave Filoni had to know about the Rogue One idea as he was developing four seasons and literally say nothing for like three or four years while he was developing it, including his actors and most of his writers as they were building to Rogue One, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, man, it's pretty awesome. I'm really excited for this episode. And we are less than two months away from Disney Plus and specifically The Mandalorian. Hells, yeah. Oh, Sammy, I have to say, because we it was it had just not been mentioned. It was mentioned after I released the podcast, but before we recorded, which is that Obi-Wan is a thousand million percent happening with Ewan McGregor. God bless him. It's going to be awesome. He, his voice is amazing. And he is, he's Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know? I mean, who are we kidding? If you want to listen loud, great. If you're listening on the go, great. Do whatever you want. When I say go, you should hit play. And uh, then we're going to jump into two of the great episodes. And as I teased last time, I said very quickly, but I mean it, this is maybe in terms of both the combination of expectations and execution, in terms of the hype, the best fourth finals the best final season that was a fourth season that i've ever seen it's much better than battlestar season four and most shows like game of thrones vikings and homeland which i like the early seasons i normally tune out season four and while i still love season two the best semi because of ahsoka and vader it's Mm -hmm. hard to argue that with all the pressure it was clear that they had a full handle on their characters and materials, and uh, we can discuss during the commentary whether you agree that this is one of the best final seasons ever. So, guys, cue it up. Uh, I'm going to get the countdown going. Simi, it's great to have you back. Great to have the pregame, but especially great to do this commentary of this great fucking double episode, this great fucking show. Oh, guys, final note. Um, in terms of the recording, we're going to go right into the countdown for the second part, episode four, after the first part, episode three. We might take a break, maybe not, because they're short, but in terms of the recording, we're going to go right into it. So if you need to take a break, you can do that. Otherwise, we're going to go right into it. So you ready, Simi? Let's do it. All right. Here comes the countdown. The name of the rebellion. One and two, three, two, one, and go. One, two, three, four, five. All right. Here we go, baby. We got the Mandalorian ship that they stole from Maul. God bless Ezra. Uh, This is important. Yeah, Kanan doesn't know, but they've heard pretty strongly the rebel group is way bigger than they think. (laughs) 
So, of course, dude, a little house cleaning with, uh, you know, eight-year-olds, dude. Uh, and by the way, dude, they always make fun of Chopper, but it's specifically important they give him a hard time in this episode because Chopper is more than usual the guy who saves the day from a practical standpoint in these episodes. We'll get there. Here's Zeb smiling. We never see it. They're a true family. We're on Yavin's floor, baby. Oh, yeah. Everybody's all chipper. You notice the subtlety already in Sabine uh, uh, sounding more mature after what she just went through? I know she hasn't changed her hair yet, but her confidence, she's got a confident smile. The team's coming together, and they're pushing Ezra and Sabine up front, which they should uh, and did do. They're so cute, like all the give and take. They're the platonic Han Leia, and I love that. They're, they're as if Jin and Cassian didn't have a romantic thing. I love that shit. I love Rex. I mean, Rex, again, character I liked initially, hadn't seen the Clone Wars, watched the Clone Wars, rewatched this. Oh, baby, here we go. Oh, this is great. Oh, Simi, Y-Wings with Hera crashing. Oh, man. And immediately it gets exciting. I mean, we know Leia can fly, and she flies the Falcon occasionally at times, but Hera is truly Poe Dameron Han Solo level. No, she's great. And much she, smarter than Poe like Dameron. She's clearly a better pilot than everybody, you know? Solo has amazing instincts in general. She's a better pure pilot, I would say. No, right, and everybody knows it. She's also, like, cocky about it, too. Like, she couldn't fly the Falcon the way that Rey and Han fly the Falcon, but I don't think Han could fly an X-Wing, which is a funny thing to think about. Yeah, like, we know, like, who's actually the best pilot, but it's implied, like, she's, like, better than most people, you know? Here's Young, young Wedge Antilles looking a thousand years younger than Dennis Lawson. Who cares? Here's the Princess Leia thing, but also like the Battlestar Eddie Almost thing. This wasn't your fault. Get focused. Let's move on. Right. Right. The hard sell and then the human. I mean, she's Princess Leia. She's the understated Princess Leia. It's great. I love it about Hera. Yeah. No. And there's her hubby and her crew. Oh, my God. I could listen to Tia Sarkar talk forever. Again, guys, I have to stress, I fell in love with the character and voice of Sabine long before I saw Tia Sarkar. Oh, here's Hot Callus! Look, I have waifus, both animated video game and real life. Jin Erso's my waifu. Dude, this is a major waifu for Star Wars fan, is Hot Callus. Or Husbando, as they say. Here she is, Genevieve O'Reilly, one of my favorite parts of my favorite commentary in Rogue One, Simi. You were like, it's her! It's literally her. It's as if they superimposed her from the 70s. I'm like, I know. What the fuck? No, it's really great. And this is Jimmy Smith. Not really, though. I wish it was. Yeah, he's the one they didn't get, but we might maybe we'll get him sometime. Do, do you remember the, the little anecdote about how Genevieve O'Reilly played uh, in, in during a cutscene of episode three? She played Mon Mothma and then got to play it like eight years later for real in Rogue One. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Uh, this so is love, a hint. So this is this is one man's freedom fighter is another man's rebel, and so, they're rebels. But how rebel are they? You know. Can I can I, can I backpat you? Can I backpat you? Yeah. You pointed out that whether Mon Mothma was going to let them throw Jyn Erso back in the hole or not, she let it play during that you know important speech when they first got her back. You know, we thought she wouldn't actually go through with it, but she let the evil, ge- you know, rebel general or whatever, the bad rebel general, do it, Simmy. Here she's <laughs> saying we don't mistreat our prisoners. So if you don't think that her interactions going forward with Saw in this episode, if you think they don't affect her, you're not watching close enough. Right, right. It, it's These are hard choices to put, like, in terms of why are we going to be better than the powers that be? These are standard rebel conversations. Are we going to be doing the same things they do except, you know, with our people doing it? Or is it something different? Okay, look at this staging. They've made Ezra strike leader. They've punished him before for screwing up, but he's still the strike leader because of his giant brains. But Hera is creeping along, listening to all this, and you know Mon Mothma knows that because she's still the mom and she's still the true leader. And But this is mostly because he's insisting they go back to Lothal, which becomes the reality after these two episodes. But to me, I'm actually backpatting you more, which is to say... Saw Guerrero rips her one, whether you agree with Saw's methods or not, he's about to rip her a new one in a giant hologram in front of th- hundreds or thousands of people, but it actually does affect her because she does start becoming more ruthless starting here, and then, of course, eventually, you know, supporting without saying it, Jin Erso's little rebellion within the rebellion, right? Well, this is these are these lands, lines in the sand which, like, do, like do the difference. You know, this is the difference. We're not going to run it the same way the Emperor does. We're, we're better than that. That's her There's a line point. in the sand, dude. Across this line, you do not cross. <laughs> right, right. And that's what we're basically – that's what they're basically arguing about. Like, uh, yes, yeah. you're yeah. the enemy of my enemy is my friend, but at some mm-hmm. level, like, you know, how much are we going to really roll with you? All right. I'm going to say a few big generalizations. <laughs> you can agree or disagree or otherwise. One, best, I've said it before, I'll continue to say it, this, because of how long they have in the writing and the characters, best Padawan-master relationship in all of Star Wars. It's not fair to compare to the movies. They have four full seasons. They work together a ton. Two, Freddie Prinze Jr. should have won awards for his voice, or at least nominated for his voice performance, more, even way more than Tia Serkar or anyone else. Freddie Prinze Jr. was born to play this role, as gorgeous as he is in real life, and he is a decent actor. He was born to play Kanan. And three, as a mix of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Han Solo, Kanan is arguable, arguably just sort of the coolest Jedi. He's not my favorite. Obi-Wan's my favorite. I love Rey and Luke, but in some ways, Kanan is the coolest. I don't know if you agree with any or all of what I just said. No, I do. Uh, I I haven't really thought about it like that. I agree that it's a great relationship because I like how unorthodox it it is because it's it's like it's taken a lot of the religion out of it and went more towards the concept instead of of like being like all religious, you know, like they're not celibate, like you know, he, he's he's got a girlfriend, and he he's not looking to be celibate either, you know? So, like, there's all sorts of things that they're not like Jedi. They're more force wielders. Okay. One, while I love Saw in Season 3 and Geonosis, he is in full control of the Saw Gerrera persona now, because Geonosis came out right after Rogue One, but it was recorded before. This was recorded after Rogue One, and he played Saw Gerrera, so he's in full control of playing Saw Gerrera. Two, 
Two, when you don't get a speech like this to the rebels, he just spits at how pathetic they are in Rogue One briefly in Jin's whole thing about the cause, the cause, fuck the cause. We needed this speech in, in canon, I think, Simi. Absolutely. A criminal. I don't agree with that. He might be a terrorist, but he's not a criminal. Mm-hmm. And Mon Mothma, by the way, and Jimmy Smiths are total weaklings until the end of Rogue One. I love Jimmy Smiths, though. He's pretty awesome. Hypothetical. So you know how Mon Mothma, after Jin's big rebellions are built on Hope's speech, her and, and Bale basically say sorry without the will of the council, blah, blah, blah. But then they immediately start planning about Obi-Wan and Princess Leia and so forth. So my hypothetical is, at what point do you think that Jimmy Smith's, a.k.a. Bail Organa, and Mon Mothma started to believe the, the Jin Erso vision? Was it as late as that speech? Was it before then? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, you have to, you know, you have to take into consideration uh, a lot of different things. It's not like they don't know he exists, you know? So they could be kind of figuring it out one way or another without having to really commit. You let, know? let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Mon Mothma despised Saw Gerrera and his methods. Saw Gerrera despised Mon Mothma, the so-called rebellion, and their pathetic methods. Jin Erso is indifferent to both, but it's actually Jin's indifference to both of them that gives her the, and in her dad's death, of course, that gives her the clarity of mind for the third path, right? Right. She says, Saw's not working, they're not working, we just need to get the Death Star plans, take one step, one step, one step, and see if we can survive. I mean, that's the way to go with the Rebellion. Forget these big ideas. Saw's way too idealistic, in a way. Mon Mothma's too idealistic. Jin's purely practical. As the captain, you have to have this conversation with your crew when you're going to be interacting with somebody who's not necessarily, you know, of the same grain. Great. <laughs> so, I've been predicting Captain America, Hawkeye, and maybe some other Avengers are going to pop up in Black Widow, just because it's the big main movie and they want star power. Now they're saying Tony Stark, which makes me really unhappy. Not only because we just buried Tony, and they did a whole Spider-Man movie about burying Tony. I know this takes place in the past, but I don't want them to feel like they need the Robert Downey Jr. to sell a Scarlett Johansson movie. So I hope that's not what's happening at any level. But I will say, dude, one of my many predictions, this is way less... Okay, first of all, I'm predicting Ahsoka in 9, but I'm um, almost 100% sure Ahsoka will be in Cassian and K2, because she's Fulcrum, he's Fulcrum, they're both working for Jimmy Smith, it's a prequel, it seems impossible Ahsoka won't be in the Cassian. But I think I really just so. because of Felicity, and she loves it and we love her, I think we're going to get a very quick... Uh, you know, almost casual but great cameo from, you know, Cassian and Jin crossing paths, not knowing each other a few years before. I hope so. This is so funny. Shower is such great comic relief. You guys might know I like Jin or so Cassian Andor and Rogue One. I don't know if that's come out before Simi. This reminds me of that uh, scene in the new uh, Star Trek movie where they were both dri- diving down. 
That is one of the best scenes ever where, where uh, the idiot Scottish engineer who is in a red shirt, you know is a red shirt, but also Sulu, who's awesome, and Chris Pine, who's awesome, are diving down, and the music cuts out, and the camera starts shaking. Yeah, that was pretty cool. It was that shot, actually, that convinced me. It was that shot in that extended scene, and then the emotional payoff of Vulcan being destroyed and Zoe and, and so forth. That was, the, that was the extended scene that convinced me that J.J. Was, would nail the adventuresomeness of uh, Star Wars, because he had never... I'm sorry, no one else had really done that. It's Star Trek. Oh, look, they're holding hands. We, dude, in five television series and twelve movies, we had never seen a free fall scene like that in Star Trek, which would actually make total sense. Plus, we have Christopher Pike being like, "You're the captain now, Mister, <laughs> Mister." What did he say? It was Mister Spock at the time. You're the captain now, Mister Spock. <laughs> I love a chopper. He's the only one that could actually fly, and somehow this happened. Sabine and Ezra do nothing but argue and get fooled by. By Saw Guerrera in this on purpose, and Chopper does everything. That's how a lot of those, you know, that's how it ends up. So I'm, I'm a little <laughs> extra prepared for this, not because I watched it recently. And this is one of the few season four commentaries I, I did on my own when it happened, um, because I love Saw and I was just really amped for season four. So would you agree with me? that at only 13 episodes in full control of their material and the Rogue One connection, that this season is a- as flawless and good as it could be for a Star Wars Rebels show? Uh, I, I, I think they really turned up the volume and started paying attention to it and really made some solid moves with, uh, with, the, with the canon that already exists. By the way, Simi, I just want to point out again that even with all the Marvel fireworks in terms of shows and movie announcements, Disney continues to stress that Star Wars is their lead kids and adult property, at least for the first six months to 12 months of what's going on. Yeah, I think they do a really good job with it, though. And even my Australian friends who are like, they like Star Wars, but they don't love it. But they're DC people, so they don't love Marvel. I agree that it's very, very, very smart for so many reasons. Even uh, bef- ignore the Americana, how America, I mean, Apple Pie, Batman, and Star Wars, the most American things, right? I mean, but on top of that, it's just a smart move for Disney and Star Wars as a dark property for adults and kids to keep doing things. And Simi, we said this during the genocidal stuff with Sabine in the last episode. This season continues to step up the adult themes of Rebels that are deeper than any Marvel PG-13 movie outside the Winter Soldier, Civil War, and maybe a couple others. Yeah, dude. Yeah, absolutely. I love it how Chopper's the only one who's getting shit done. Like you just said. Oh, it hasn't even begun. I mean, this is just, trust me, the tip of the iceberg. They're, like, failing. They're missing, obviously. (laughs) Oh, man. Ezra's such a horrible spy. Sabine's a bad spy because she can't shut her fucking mouth and she tells the truth to the Empire, and they're like, who the fuck are you? Ezra's just a bad liar. (laughs) Ezra's like, hi. What did you think about the very first Last Jedi scene where Poe calls um, General Hux and does that little bit over the radio? But I can't Waiting for General Hux. Waiting for General Hux. Still waiting. Did you like that or not like that? I liked it. 
I liked it too, but that was already the dividing point of the movie. That's a different conversation. That was, they decided to do that, like, the same way that, that I reminded the scene of uh, when Kylo's having a, a temper tantrum and those two stormtroopers are walking down the hallway, and then they slowly turn back and go back the way they came. Uh, related, related to that, and related to Joss Whedon, who we talked about, Joss Whedon understands one central principle, Simi. The best time to have your characters be hilarious, like at the end of Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron, is during the most dangerous moments. Because in real life, that's when soldiers and heroes would be making jokes to calm themselves. And this season gets it. And that's why they keep telling jokes, but it's appropriate as things get darker and darker. Because that's exactly, especially young heroes like Ezra and Sabine, right? That's when you would make the jokes. And so in a movie as dark and brooding as The Last Jedi, to have some Poe Dameron and Finn in gags. I mean, come on, people. Seriously. But you look. Seriously, the bottom line I, is, I, I, you know, I've said Rise of Skywalker is going to be the best, not because I'm an insane optimist, which I am, and because I love J.J. Abrams, which is true, but because they they've just built so much greatness, and now J.J. can do a three hour Star Wars finale that will nail all of it. But J.J. Abrams, after Joss Whedon, does the best humor writing in, in sci-fi, and they're actually pretty close, in my opinion. So I can't wait for the humor between the old and new characters. Here they go, off the side, killing Stormtrooper Simi in a kid's show. Marvel doesn't kill anyone in the final battle of Endgame other than Tony Stark and Thanos. They just killed a whole bunch of people. I don't understand. <laughs> they, you didn't see them fall though. You don't know that they died. They might have yeah, perished. You do. They're, they are thousands of feet above the ground. So maybe they have a parachute. Like I said, they don't normally show deaths. We assume they happen. Oh, you didn't see I, them says, the I must really trust you. And he says, I know you do. And that loving but mischievous look on Harris' face. Oh, one of the things I talked about, Simi, in my original podcast, I won't say too much, and I have mentioned, but I want to mention here, is while they're not as old, um, I love mature romances from lead characters who are sort of middle-aged or a little younger, but you know, around middle age. Roslyn and Adama, I love in season four. You need to finish Battlestar to give me your final opinion, but Eddie Olmos and Mary McDonald have great chemistry. I love the mature relationship that's on again, off again, but is realized, and then they're torn apart in this season. Another amazing part of this season. Spoiler alert, Kanan this died. Is a great, this is a really great scene. He's doing some, like, blind Jedi shit with his whole... Uh, oh, my uh, God. Oh, Oh, the mini Star Destroyers are so cool. They're almost cooler than the Star Destroyers because they got those giant engines and they don't have the fucking testicles on top. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the Super Star Destroyer is the best because it's blue, it's huge, and when it crashes into the side of the Death Star in Return of the Jedi is amazing. It's really good graphics. What'd you say? It's $2 million an episode? Half. Well, well, no. Okay, so by this point, Simi, with Force Awakens doing so well, with them being thrilled with how well the Dark Rogue One did, and with their plans for the future, which we didn't know at the time and wouldn't know for the later, like Clone Wars coming back, etc., now I'm thinking they're getting a million to two million. But the early Rebels episodes I was hearing was half a million per episode. 
He sounds like but yes. I don't know how you do twenty three minutes of this, even animated with these bombs and ships, for less than a million dollars. Up oh, here we go. He sounds like young Sagarera. Red, there's always two stormtrooper reactions with the bombs. One is run for it. The other is oh fuck. <laughs> see again. You don't see them die. So my favorite female villain, uh, who's part of the Empire. Um, in all of Star Wars is General uh, Governor Price, who we're about to oh, see wow. a lot of with Thrawn in this season. That's impressive. Simi, we mentioned last time in passing that... Well, I mentioned last time, and I think you agreed that with all the female lead characters of Star Wars, and it's undeniable between Leia Jin and Rey and Rose and now Naomi Aki and so forth... And they won't truly be equal until we get great Star Wars female villains. We haven't even had great Marvel female villains, but Star Wars definitely needs them. Oh, dude, there's two tubes! There's two tubes! Guerrera. Oh, they know who each... Oh, man. After he tortured... What's interesting, Simi, is that first he seems much sweeter and calmer than when he was torturing that poor alien in Geonosis last season. This is great. You recognize this music? No. It's during like the most difficult part of some of the Return of the Jedi battle. Da, 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 da. That's it for episode one. It ends on such a cool note. It really does. Uh, any thoughts about that episode? And then we will do the countdown to the next one. Um... It doesn't really matter. That episode's the action setup episode. This is the character one. It's just a really... It draws you in. Like, I'd be binging this if I just started watching it on accident. I just... I mean... that. I mean, the fact that Forrest Whitaker, like, shows up... Again, like, we have this debate, right? We're having this debate as Democrats, quote-unquote, right now, or liberals, or whatever you want to call us. You know, like, who is really the version of uh, change that we want. Simi, uh, I think Simi we talked like, about this in Rogue One extensively about how Rogue One is a metaphor for the dissension between each other and the Liberal Party. Right, right. That's basically what it is. Like, and I was just going to give it more specific roots. Like, I'm not excited about Biden anymore. I don't think he's what we want, but I still would argue that he's quote unquote more electable. And people were like, nope. well, they're like, well, how could you say? You know, he's electable when Trump's present. And the problem with it is that is a republic. Anyone could run on the Republican ticket and they could win. Because they all but agree. The liberals, 40%, right, right, 40% right. is going to agree with Trump. And so Trump can say whatever he wants because that 40% is going to think the media is a conspiracy. And so it doesn't matter what Trump says. And that's what liberals don't understand. We are everybody else. And so our diversity is our strength, but also our weakness. Right, right, right. We need to get behind the same message, the same way that Fox News puts out. Okay, a I don't want to talk about our politics. Okay. Although, as we hear, saw try to. But seduce- that's what this is. Wait, wait, but that's what this is. We're bringing context to the reality of there is a government that is 
definitely fucking with their people and there is a rebellion this is common history so we're using examples from you know our current time of bickering among ourselves it's i'm not trying to stop you i just want to save some of this for the because you haven't seen it as recently as me there's directly what you're saying in the next episode so i want you to talk about it in the episode oh, I, I can do it i can talk about it now oh, i know you can i know you can you're the one you're like neo by the way, a couple weeks ago, watch Matrix Reloaded with my best friend. Never seen it. Loved it. Watch it with my dad. Not into that stuff. Loved it. I'm sorry, it's dude. Great. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. You're the one that's been saying you don't like them. I like it because it keeps it going, you know? Like, what? Keep this- I, Matrix Reloaded is one of my favorite movies of all time. What was the one you don't like? You don't like three. No, I, 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 I don't like most of three. I love Jada Pinkett and Morpheus in three. Big time. I like some of the Smith stuff, and I like some of the philosophy, but I right. totally sympathize with people who hate three. I even sympathize with people who hate two. I just happen <laughs> to like two. Three is indefensible outside of Jada Pinkett and some decent philosophy occasionally. So I'm... I'm sure. Uh, and as I said, by the way, in our major commentary, which I did listen to recently before my reloaded commentary, Simi, because I do love listening to our commentaries. I got V for Vendetta for when I'm working tomorrow. I got V for Vendetta queued up with our 17-minute nice. Natalie Portman intro. I can't wait for it. And Hugo nice. Weaving, who's one of the most brilliant actors ever. Um, which is, I say multiple times in our Matrix commentary that I don't hold it against anyone if they just like and want to watch the first movie. Like, it doesn't bother me whatsoever. Right. 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 Take, take it or leave it. But I will say, dude, again, another argument for me, I've told you a number of reasons why I prefer Rebels over Clone Wars. Um, some of it's thematic. Some of it's animation. Some of it's because the Clone Wars continues to be a pointless war with lots of killing that leads to nothing and means nothing. And this leads into the new trilogy in Rogue One. Um, it has to do with the smaller crew and the Firefly vibe that I like. I think the characters are written better. I prefer the animation. But look... Season 5 of Clone Wars is one of the greatest seasons of all time, and you and I have to wait until fucking November to get Clone Wars so we can do Ahsoka, the Soko stuff in Season 5. But I continue to just like the flow of Rebels in the character. I mean, it, there's a lot of vignettes. There's three and four episode arcs in Clone Wars, but there's sort of these little vignettes throughout the Clone Wars. I think they really, really, really build the characters um, in this one. So I'll give you the final thought after the first episode, and then I don't know if you need to take a break, and then we'll count people into the second one. Go ahead. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I, I don't think you're wrong on any of those accounts. I, I, think, I think it makes a lot of sense. But I am for sure an asshole, 100%. You're not wrong, John, Donnie. Jesus. What's Walter. funny is, because I love my podcast contributors so this doesn't happen with you because we agree on literally almost everything. Um, but I, I end up throwing shade on some of my podcasters, not on purpose to annoy them, but because I just love engaging with them and they come up in all my podcasts. So, hence my reaching out to Jedi Geek Girl and so forth. So, mm-hmm. um,. All right, dude. Uh, you ready to count into Name of the Rebellion Part 2? Yeah, man. Let's make it rock. All right, guys. So, again, queue up to 000. Uh, season 4, Episode 4, Name of the Rebellion Part 2. Sammy's going to give a five count after my countdown. Um, this, is a, this is a really, truly great episode of Star Wars. So, here comes the countdown. Three, two, one, go. 
One, two, three, four, five. Man, hyperspace never gets old, no matter when. Especially with Sub Guerrera and two tubes flying the ship and these guys prisoners. So I'm wondering, like, how much, you know, robot he is right now. Really quickly, Sammy, I'm always trying to get you to read the mainline Star Wars comics, not because they're all good and not because the art's always good, but because it's specifically about Leia, Luke, and Han between four and five, which is an amazing period that we don't hear about in the movies, and you learn a lot about how much more depth Luke, but especially Han and Leia have, and, and, and not just with each other, but themselves during that time. But there's a whole arc about them going back to Jeddah, dude, after the Death Star explosion in Jeddah and Rogue One. And literally, the planet's cut in half, but two tubes survived with a few of Saw's rebels, and they're still organizing terrorist attacks on the Empire. And unlike Mon Mothma, Princess Leia is forced to agree with their terrorist methods at that point because we had just seen Alderaan explode, the Senate get, you know, taken apart, Emperor Vader, and so far. So at that point, Princess Leia, the daughter of Bail Organa, who was hesitant, is now totally on board with the terrorist tactics. It's really interesting. Yeah. He's he's very persuasive. The ashes of Jeddah. Sorry, guys. It's four or five issues. I think it's like fifty to fifty-five or something of the modern Star Wars. It's called the Ashes of Jeddah. Go ahead. Oh man. Yeah. He um he just makes it so casual. He he's like very relatable, and he's like his uh, manipulation is just very casual. It's just like, hey, well, you know, it's just saved your life, so maybe you can help me out with this job. I mean, in general, not only do I love what Lucas does with Leia, you know, if anything, she should have more screen time. I always think Carrie Fisher should have more screen time. The only wasted opportunity, it's just because he didn't have time to think it through, and now we get in the comics, man, is that after episode four of Star Wars, of course Leia would be the most ruthless with Alderaan, her parents, and everything. You know, does, would you at least agree, having not read the comics, that it makes sense that Leia would be the extreme ruthless one among the main characters? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she's the inheritor of Jin, who's the inheritor of Saw. Let's be honest. Han doesn't care as much about that shit. Han's He's horrified. Born. Han is horrified from a moral standpoint. Another reason you'll right. love it. He has to be the one to walk Leia back, not just because he's in love with her, because she's getting rebels killed trying to kill Vader and do extreme actions the way Saw gets people killed. Yeah, she's more rational. Or he's more rational than, than she is. Like he It's sees not it that she's irrational. It it's that she is take, willing to take extreme steps in what she thinks is rational like Saw. Let me take that back because I don't want to sit there and be like, oh, the woman's being irrational. I'm saying she's not wrong again. He just has to give her the common man's opinion about like what that would do. And that, that levels her out knowing like, like, yes, she should probably do it to a hundred percent. But and, Han's there to put the just be like, hey, 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 yeah. hey, 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 hey. Well, two things. Let's walk you back two steps, and then I'm in total agreement with you. Yes. And two then she's like, well, maybe you're right. You know, yeah, that's yeah. the way I think. About Here's it. the heist firefly stuff I love. Like. Yeah, yeah. Han, two, Han's two, not the hero. I'm not trying to say well, she's still Well, here. no. Two things I want to hell yeah you, which is you and I have commented on what not enough people see. Another brilliant thing that, that Lucas did way, way ahead of time in the 70s is ultimately make Han 
as we see with Kira in the solo movie, kind of what was the traditional American female stereotype in the 50s, 60s, and 70s as the sensitive one who needs the coddling by the man. It's Nope. Leia's the one in charge. Han, his feelings are constantly getting hurt. She doesn't want to commit. He wants a relationship, right? Which is brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And one of the many things they nailed with the Kira-Han relationship right. as mirroring, mirroring Leia. And so the irrational thing it is totally fine. But remember, dude, before the end of Jedi, she didn't know she was Luke's sister, which means she didn't know she was Vader's daughter. So she was homicidal against Vader specifically because of Alderaan, who she thought was her real family, and just because he was being even more extremely genocidal. Agreed. Agreed. Totally. So it's, it's not till the end, but bookmark whether you agree, disagree, or unsure about Saw's rationale for the extreme thing he does at the end of this. I love Chopper's, like, camouflage. Oh, it always looks great, and it's always Sabine, and they never have to say anything. This is, again, Joss Whedon, J.J. Abrams School of Writing. We don't have to be told everything. We know Sabine's the one doing it, and she enjoys it. Dude, I would market both choppers, this one and the other one. Well, no, there's black red chopper, which is actually what I would call sexy, just from an art design standpoint. <laughs> Do they have them in the uh, characters, like uh, to buy the? Oh yeah, oh you can get all the choppers. And by the way, the imperial chopper that's black and red and white would fit perfectly with the first order in Last Jedi. Oh, so I actually have uh, a more recent purchase a metal. It's a metal game figure of Rose and BB-8. Can I point something really out that I just realized that's insane that not that I, both I haven't realized and haven't said? We have uh-huh. not done a Last Jedi commentary. We've never done it. Are you sure? The, what's considered either the most brilliant or one of the worst or both Star Wars movies of all time, but very influential, you and I have never done Last Jedi. Oh, here we go. All the prisoners. I'll do Last Jedi. I'll do that before we do uh, um, the new uh, Avengers movie. The reason I think it'll be good is you will help me re-humanize uh, myself and the things I initially loved and then different love. But I definitely, definitely love Last Jedi way more than Attack of the Clones, so it won't be me shitting on things in any major way. But I would like your sort of more positive attitude about it to kind of re... Because I haven't watched it in at least six months and, and keep wanting to, and I haven't. This is pretty cool. Again, this is like the different perspectives of of politics and like you know how much you want to get involved. Like, like at some level, he's saws like ready to leave them. So, reason seventy three of one hundred and ninety or whatever. I think right. episode nine is going to be great. Is J.J. Abrams through his comments in in the in the pictures before episode seven was very vocal about having tons of practical aliens. But other than Maz's place and a little bit on Jakku with Ray, we didn't really get it. Ryan Johnson did great with alien animals, but we still didn't get it. We're already seeing tons of pictures of practical aliens, for sure, all over the final Episode Nine movie, which true fans love, I love, I think you love. I know you love droids, but you gotta love aliens. Yeah, yeah, totally. So well, saw, mean, so saw so has. Kind of I just want to focus what's just happened. 
Ezra and Sabine thinks the mission is saving the prisoners right now. That's not what Saw's thinking. No, he's thinking about finances. Do you remember what he's looking for? Uh, Quaxula? <laughs> no. Some sort of a uh, fuel. You're getting closer. Um, oh, a kyber crystal. Yep. A, a, a you know, a, 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 an earth-sized kyber crystal. Right, an enormous kyber crystal. By the way, Simi, I know you love this, the uh, audiobooks for Harry Potter. I'm sorry. The Witcher books and audiobooks are the best thing I've ever listened to and the, my favorite fantasy of all time. I love Dune. The Witcher? I love Tolkien. The Witcher books, eight of them, read by Peter Kenny, who is similar to the old amazing English guy who reads the Harry Potter books. Those two guys are at the top, but Peter Kenny, who does The Witcher, and The Witcher books are spectacular. It's everything you like in Game of Thrones and everything you like in Lord of the Rings. It's in the middle, but also without, I think, the, some of the stuff we might not like in both of those things. Um, how, how long are the books? There's five, there's five in the main saga, and there's three short story books, all of which are important, but none of them are longer than 10 to 12 hours as an audio book, and it goes Uh, much faster than that. That's long. I want want it to be long. 10 to 12 hours for fantasy epic? That's super short. They're usually 20 to 30. Just, uh, just do the first one, dude. Just do. I don't want to spend. No, okay, Sammy. Sammy, the first one is a short story book, but it, in, it introduces the world and all the main characters, and starring Henry Cavill, but with a great international cast. Netflix's new Game of Thrones is The Witcher. It's coming out in December. It's their biggest budget project ever. It looks spectacular. Straight from you the book. Your red hair. The point is, you're going to want to get familiar with The Witcher before the amazing Netflix series comes out. And if you just do the first book, which is hilarious and introduces the main characters, it's like nine hours in the best voice acting. I love Jim, what's his name, who does Harry Potter. I'm telling you, Peter Kenny's at least as good or better. Just trust me me on this. Daily. Jim Daly. This is incredible. What's great is, on the surface, this is a blatant mirroring slash, you know, stealing from what's going on in Rogue One. But look at that thing. We've never seen any kyber crystal this pure, this beautiful, and this ginormous. And so, once again, Simi, we're going to disagree on this. I don't agree with Saad that we should not care about the prisoners. I do agree that this thing needs to be destroyed. Side note, this, uh, this stormtrooper uh, I have is a Pez dispenser. Can I ask you a nerdy canon question of what's going on? Sure. Six to 12 months here before Rogue One, but knowing who Jin is and knowing who Galen is and kind of knowing what Galen's up to, out of one, from one to ten, ten being totally sure, one being unsure, how sure do you think Osa is that whether it's Galen or someone related to Galen, that there's something going on with a super weapon and kyber crystals. It's just an observation. I love that little little humor. Right. Yeah, okay. Jesus. I'm an idiot. He's talking about weaponizing it. So I think he's a 7 to 8 out of 10. He's put together this is the giant super weapon. Yeah, he knows. They seeded this in Ghost of Geonosis with, with the genocide of Geonosis and the bug thing. 
But uh, this, I mean, Saw knows. Saw knows. And by the way, Saw sees the hologram before Jin. No, he always has a bigger plan. He knows. What he's and doing. he knows the he knows the Ursos. And by the way, do you notice how not only is he sympathetic to Jin once they start re- talking to each other, but he never blames Galen, which informs Jin. He looks so sad as Jin is sad watching what Galen's saying. He completely believes that Galen's a slave of the Empire. Sorry, kids. I mean, this is like, again, this is like Tolkien writing. It's a little over the top, maybe, but the stakes in the uni- the stakes are so high in this universe is so all-time classic. You got to do it in Star Wars. I mean, dude, he made Idi Amin in the Last King of Scotland somehow more psychotic than Idi Amin even was, but also more somehow understandable than Idi Amin ever was. I mean, what a high level of difficulty. I think the Last King of Scotland's incredible. Also, the introduction of James McAvoy, who's now a giant superstar in horror and genre movies. This is hilarious. He always, Ezra always has, like, the most questionable friends. This, by the way, the fact that they kind of agree with Saw's overall ideology, really disagree with his specific way of dealing with humans, but even after this, Simi, you can see in Sabine and Ezra, there are certain things of Saw they agree with, and Hera definitely does, informs them going back to Lothal, and being like, fuck this flying around in empty space with little raids on small Imperial Star Destroyers. We are going to an actual planet, and we are going to take back an actual planet and fuck the Empire is such a Saw Gerrera thing, I think. Yeah, dude, totally. I think it's, yeah. And by I, the way, starting in the next episodes is Thrawn, the Tide Defenders, and Sabine and Ezra leading and kicking ass and everything, which I love. They really did a great job with this show. I mean... But you do not love it as much as Clone Wars. I can hear from our commentaries, I can hear from no, our discussions. that's true. Well, what they do with Ahsoka, though, in the end, I mean, it's pretty awesome. This is a great season. Let me put it like this. Season 5 of Clone Wars is maybe as good or better than any Rebels seasons. I That's just what think, I said. I just think four oh, seasons no. of Rebels versus five seasons of Clone Wars, consistency and rewatchability, for me, it's Rebels. Oh, you know, chance. I haven't gone back and done uh, Clone Wars in a long time. I probably should do that. I mean, it's only the most philosophically and visually interesting animated episode of television ever, and I mean that for real. (laughs) I mean, it takes the most interesting parts of The Matrix, implements it visually more interestingly, and talks about it without talking about it way more interestingly. And I love The Matrix. The Force is The Matrix, Simi, and we see it in World Between Worlds. It's too late for me. You can see there's not much of me left. Did you come to kill, kill me? me? There's not much of me left. And then Jin immediately goes into, the rebels are trying to use me, and they thought they could get to you. I don't know. I just want to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, she's like, this is awkward. Would you agree with me, whether it was intentional or not, that having an everyday girl 
in terms of personality, street rat, like Jin Urso was important after Ray, who's good at everything, sweet no matter what, you know what I mean? Well, they're both kind of street rats at some level. Yeah, but Ray loves is fine with life even when she's a slave, whereas Ray actually complains about things like normal human beings. Well, but she's also like very uh, submissive, Ray, at some level because she was just like, "Yeah, I'll just wait here." You know, like, it's that be, scene like, where she's watching. No, no, no! It's that scene in Jeddah where she's watching the eighty-year-old woman clean a piece of machinery like she's done for 80 years and Ray actually smiles after she's been eating and kind of being like life's not so bad it's horrible Jin's life is way less horrible in some ways than Ray's but Ray's always optimistic she believes in humanity Ray wants to get out of causes she doesn't want relationships they're completely opposite I don't know they're both they're both kind of slaves, you know. They're both kind of self raised. Oh, yeah, they're both slaves, right? They're Ray's both slaves. Ray's they're a both self raised. Jin is a slave of the larger system in her life situation. Ray's an actual slave, right? She's a standard uh, living slave, like not being able to make a fair wage but and being go ahead held and being held there by you know she was lost in a bet at some level. Simi, there's a reading of the beginning of A New Hope, episode four, where they seem very scared about not meeting their quota, sort of semi-referring to the Empire, that they're slaves as well. Yeah, seriously. Part of the reason Luke wants to go to the Academy is if you can't beat them, join them. Totally. Let's be honest. Luke Skywalker's iconic, and we worship him. He's not the smartest character in Star Wars we've ever seen, and that's part of the character. No, I mean... Here's Chomper again winning a situation. Chopper's always coming to the rescue. If you fuck up, Chopper's got your back. Can I tell you something? So you know how with Rogue One, we know the ghost survives, Hera survives, and Chopper survives? And we're not sure what else? The reason I think they did that wasn't only because people love Chopper and people love droids. That was part of it. Let's be honest, Simi. With Hera and Chopper, the ghost can run. Everyone else is expendable in terms of the actual ghost operation, right? But without Chopper and Hera, you literally can't run the ship. Yeah, no, they're they're very important. I mean, she's she's like she's in charge. Like she's clearly in charge. Uh, here's Ezra being awesome, and now he's not killing. Has no interest in killing. He it's all about the mission. I love it. Sabine and Ezra. I mean, the thing is, the 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 maturing in their own ways that are similar and different of Ezra and Sabine over the last season is so effortless in terms of the writing and performance. You almost don't realize it's happening. This is awesome. Ezra is never uh, uh, rationally angry at this point. After the first couple episodes where Sabine was right to be angry, she's focused. Any fighting between them is just to relieve tension in the Firefly Whedon-esque way. This is awesome. Uh, here it comes. And this is again why you kind of are with Saw. This is a brilliant plan. Oh, man. 
I mean, I, I, I give Marvel shit all the time for not killing people, no stakes. How many terrorist attacks by good guys that we mostly support have we seen in Star Wars over the years versus Marvel? And this is why conservatives have turned on Star Wars, by the way. Not just this. It's one of many reasons conservatives have turned on Star Wars. Not my Star Wars is it just is is too real in terms of people with power and people without. Wow, that's a really good shot. <laughs> All right, Rex is <laughs> not right. Zeb, what, Zeb, Zeb right. who shoots everything, is the one to give him a hard time about blowing stuff up. Right. Look. Like I said, you give Zeb and Sabine guns and bombs, they can take out a whole Star Destroyer. Zeb's hilarious. He's one of my favorites for sure. Another thing they keep selling with the Clone Wars, but I mean, this is the rebellion here. So Rebels, the new movies, and especially the original Simi, is you have to assume, and it's sold through performance and filming, (laughs) that the Rebels have some of the best Minds and best skills in all areas in the galaxy because as less than 1% of the population, they have to be insanely... It's like Neo and, and Morpheus and Trinity with the Matrix. They have to be great at it in order to have any chance. Yeah, yeah, totally. Is this a dark cliffhanger? Again? There's a lot of non-traditional openings and closings in this one. Oh, I lo- I mean, look, you know I love Battlestar Galactica, and it's hard to compare in some ways, but... You know, season four Battlestar Galactica, everything wrong with it is done right in this season. Um, so first question, man, generally, and we'll get into the final, uh, the episodes and I'll let you go because we had a great intro is, do you agree with me that in terms of we knew that this had been planned as a fourth season thing and we had big hopes for it, that this delivers on a final season w- with hype in a way we don't normally see? And I'd be interested if you have other examples of that. Honestly, like the way Take shows a are... Take a second think of your favorite shows over the last 10, 15 years. No, no, I got you, I got you. The way shows are these days are catered to people like me who want, who just want it to keep going. You know, we're, we understand... Did you watch 20 seasons of Dexter? No, but people have been pushing me to do that. No, nope, um, don't do it. It's like Lost. Don't do it. Trust me. Do not do it. I got rid of Lost after the first season. And same thing with a bunch of other things. But it's just, you know, you just want to keep it going... Um, but with, with this, the canon is so also keeping it going and is uncharted. You know, this time period, this and Clone Wars is uncharted time period. You know, because of what happened with the with all the the the, the one, two, and three uh, episode uh, Phantom Menace and so on. So this is filling in those holes with an immense, awesome story that that needs to exist. So. So ultimately, like what what they're doing is is incredible. Like they're filling it in with excellent content, and and then the new canon with what already existed is incredible. Okay, I have one comment about sort of the connection to Rogue One, and then a few small points, and I'll let you go. But Simi, gotcha. this is where the back padding comes for me and you, which is. You know, I have been doing commentaries for television and film for all four and a half years of the Bizzlecast. Mm-hmm. And I will say this. I am my harshest critic. I said to you once, uh, we were talking about bosses 
And I said, I, I need the boss who praises me for things I suck at and c- criticizes me for things I think I'm good at. But I listened back to my earliest commentary, Star Trek Reboot, Guardians of the Galaxy, Age of Ultron, Winter Soldier, etc., etc. And while I have gotten better and the production's gotten slightly better, I pretty much had a feel for it from the beginning. But that was mostly because I had been listening to so many commentaries. Mm-hmm. But no one has done all the Star Wars movies and properties like I've been doing and you've been doing and Jedi Geek Girl's been doing with me for the last two to three to four years. Now they're all doing it, and God bless them because A, they're my friends, and B, they're more popular podcasts, and in some ways deserve to be because they only talk about Star Wars. So me, dude, who does Star Wars and a million other things, been doing Star Wars commentaries. Now the All Star Wars co- podcast are doing commentaries, and guess what movie, when they watch it, all the people are saying, you know what, this is actually the best of the new movies. Which one? That would be Rogue One, my friends. Oh, yeah, these fucking people, yeah. Just come on later. Tell me me how much you like Solo in a year and a half. You know, like, well, people already it. like Solo. It's young you know women. I mean. It's young women who don't get it. Everyone from our generation fucking loves Solo. It, that's a total generational thing. But what I'm saying is, even the Raylos who, who claim that the, you know Seven and Eight are much better than Rogue One and uh, Solo, you listen to the commentaries or them revisit it, or even just revisit characters like Jin, who are shed upon by the Ray lovers. Honestly, I'm just being honest. Jane was like, oh, she's not interesting, she's unemotive, blah, blah, blah. Now everyone's revisiting it and seeing what you and I have seen. But I love that about Star Wars fans. And I've said, Simi, that part of the popularity of Season 4 of Rebels is it came directly after The Last Jedi, which was the, by far the most divisive Star Wars movie since the prequels. Let's be honest. Yeah. And I th- think some of the love and hype... I mean, even the mainstream nerd press, which hadn't been covering Star Wars Rebels, post The Last Jedi, covered the shit out of Season 4 of Rebels. And yes, it delivers... Big time, as we've talked about, we'll continue to talk about. I just think it's interesting, people getting on and off the Star Wars bandwagon. And you know what? I'm never the guy to say, oh, you should have gotten on the bandwagon earlier. I just want to point out that there are survivors and fighters like me and you who are always on the bandwagon, and it's a little frustrating at times. I'm not going to lie. Is my final thought. Yeah, my final thought is... Even about the prequels, which I knock all the time, but it's clear people love the prequels. The Obi-Wan, people were more excited about Obi-Wan Kenobi announcement than the Mandalorian trailer. It's not even close. My, my final comment is, like, all these things that have been going on all the time are facilitating, like, this whole Star Wars Disney channel. You know? Like, we've been watching this the whole time, and we've been saying this the whole time, and Instead of being like, hi, I told you so, I'm just excited. I'm just excited for all this shit to come out. You know, like, it's so, like, why wouldn't you do this? You have great characters. You have this this, this great show and, and, and ways to continue the canon. And they've really done a good job. So, um, yeah, I'm just really excited for it to keep going. Like, I'm ready. And also, I think this, this, this lull of not having anything come out in a while is a good a good pause. We agree on that. We agree on yeah. that. You and I yeah. also realized how brilliant Kathleen Kennedy was earlier because we agreed with the shakeup of Solo, especially when we saw Solo. Right. Um, 
and you know what I mean? And then right. immediately them deciding to say, okay, Game of Thrones guys, okay, Ryan Johnson, but no movies for three years, but we're doing Mandalorian, Clone Wars, and Cassian and K2 and Obi-Wan. I mean, I'm sorry, man. I'm excited for these second and third tier Marvel characters like She-Hulk and Ms. Marvel, but Mandalorian, Obi-Wan, Clone Wars, Cassian K2, Marvel got nothing on that. And I agree with, I don't know if you meant to say this with the Star Wars Disney Channel, but I think it's already being perceived and will be perceived and correctly will be continued to be perceived as that Star Wars channel that has Anna Kendrick on it and some other cool shows. Well, I actually wonder also about... Oh, that was my other... Sorry, really quick. That was my other Pitch Perfect connection was the fact that Disney seems to be locking up Anna Kendrick and Haley Steinfeld within three months of each other makes me very happy. Go ahead. Also, by the way, that we're forgetting is like a big aspect of Disney, which is ESPN. And ESPN is uh, going to ESPN Plus is going, and ESPN will be included on the Disney Channel. And they've also incredible. announced that every single classic Spider-Man, X-Men, and Avengers classic cartoons from the '90s and early 2000s that are Fox are immediately going to be available as well. Wow, that's great. That's so, a good theory. So you you know you don't feel as frustrated as me because you don't listen to the noise and you don't you don't read the noise. Um, but you've been through this whole journey with me. You've seen me love Last Jedi and then be mm-hmm. less crazy about it. But then you you know how much I love Rogue One and we had a great experience and we continue to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I was way more optimistic than about Solo than you, but that's only because, like I say with Ahsoka going forward, you did not dare to believe, and, and I can't bl- or Natalie and Thor. I I can't blame you for that. I just. You know, as a podcaster and a media critic, Simi, I have to have an ability to try to be semi-objective, even of the things I love. Uh, I don't believe in objectivity. But no, no, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) I I have to try to be 10 to 20% more objective or less subjective than just the average fanboy or fangirl. That's all I'm saying. That, right. that's, the, that's the best I can hope for. And so I say to around. people, when I say Ahsoka in nine, hashtag Ahsoka in nine, or hashtag Ahsoka in Cassian, it is because I love Ahsoka, but I also read the tea leaves. Simi, what did I call on our very first episode? I called two things on our very first episode of Star Wars ever. I called the Siege of Mandalore, mm-hmm. and I called, yeah. time, I called time travel. And both of those things have happened. Well, Siege of Mandalore hasn't happened yet, but we know it's happening. And and I tell people, guys, I know I backpat, but it's because I'm happy the things I want to happen and predict are happening. Like, I predicted half of Endgame, and I'm thrilled about it because I wanted those things to happen. It's not just backpatting. My ego, you know, I I, I, I have a complicated relationship with my ego. It's so Okay, so really quick, Simi, finish up. We teased in the, in the beginning. We won't do too long because we did a big intro. Um, mm-hmm. uh, as I'm not going to ask you about spoilers. I'm not even going to ask you about Raylo theories or anything like that. Um, where are you at sort of mentally and emotionally uh, with about three months exactly until episode nine drops? The, the way I always – I just don't – I just continue to consume and I try not to look at dates like that. You know what I mean? Like in life, if you just look forward to like certain dates, 
So I try to stay out of it. And then all of a sudden it's kind of like there and it's a pleasant surprise because again, like take advantage of the properties that we have right now, like get versed in them, you know, watch, watch solo again, continue to watch road one, you know, that sort of thing. And ultimately, um, you know, it's just going to be upon us and it's just going to be more and more. And then we're going to hit a little bit of a slide with all the, all the things that are going to come out with, within three months and then February Clone Wars in February. Simi, Simi. So we're about to hit another Ashley Eckstein. Ashley Eckstein's going to win a, a major award and Disney specifically is going to win major awards for the Clone Wars because it's a single season of super high budget, unbelievable storytelling animation. They always win awards or nominated anyways, but in the world of post, you know, the Spider-Verse, which everyone loved, Clone Wars is going to be watched, in my opinion, by way more people than maybe even Disney's expecting. I think Kathleen Kennedy knows because she always knows because she's brilliant, but most people, maybe even some in Disney, don't realize how big the Clone Wars is going to be, especially because I I say Episode 9 is going to kill it in the box office, the reviews and the reception, just like Force Awakens did, and what better way than seeing Darth Maul and Ahsoka Tano, two of the major fan favorites, right after that, and what might actually be way darker than episode nine to be honest with you mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean there's a lot of good things happening and uh, we have the mandalorian a month before to tide us over um uh to you know the month between the mandalorian and uh and episode nine simi i don't think it's an exaggeration to say if it's pretty good or great, I mean, at least me, I'll be watching Mandalorian two or three times uh, all the way through before uh, episode nine comes out. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it all of it. Like, we're really close to it. It's going to get us through the winter. I mean, that's okay. the best thing. All right, final question. I'll let you go. Gotcha. Mandalorian takes place six years after Return of the Jedi. It's clearly being filmed as a combination of Rogue One and Original Trilogy. Rogue One, in my mind, is part of the Original Trilogy, which is why I love it, and it's my favorite. Uh, I love the Original Trilogy. It's got Mandalorians that look like Boba Fett that even normal people are are, are aware of. Um, <clears throat> it's being filmed artistically, but also like a Western, shot like a Western, has fan favorites like Giancarlo Esposito, who plays Gus on Breaking Bad. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone seems to like uh, the lead, whose names I always forget from Game of Thrones, like really like him um, and some of the other side characters. But my question is, I actually think the Mandalorian is more of a lock to kill it with the mainstream audience than some of the hardcore, especially the younger hardcore fans who are prequel people. Agree, disagree, otherwise. I think we're all going to be pleasantly surprised by everything that's about to come out. I think this, no, you're I, so I, diplomatic. I, Fuck no, you. I really, I really think it's going to be great. I really think they planned it. I think they've learned from their mistakes, and I think. I mean, Dave Filoni has got 60% of the amazing. Yeah. He's, He's amazing. got 60%. He's got 60%. I love his writing. I love He's his got writing. 60%. So why wouldn't right? So, I don't know. I yeah. just feel like yep. he's going to keep everything on track. Um, Guess who and- invented Ahsoka Tano? 
Dave, well, Dave, I mean, George Lucas in theory, but essentially Dave Filoni. Who Dave. made Anakin cool? Dave Filoni. Who made Padme more cool? Dave Filoni. Who made Obi-Wan more cool? Dave Filoni. Who sustained the Clone Wars, which led to Rebels and was kept on by Disney and keeps being promoted because of how brilliant he is? Dave Filoni. Dave. And while John Favreau is the overseer, John Favreau directed fewer episodes of the actual Mandalorian than Dave Filoni did, and he's the you know the lore continuity guy and the story guy. I mean, it's a Dave Filoni project that's going to look like the best Iron Man stuff because of Favreau. Simi, I mean, I, I I haven't been as excited just because I'm more excited for Cassian and for Clone Wars, but as it gets closer, it seems impossible we're not going to love Mandalorian. I think it's going to be great. I really think it's going to be great. And as we like just chew it up and eat it, like all of a sudden we're going to be hungry and, and nine's coming out. So I think it's going to, it's going to be a nice winter. A winter oh. wonderland. Tackle this half question on. I'll really let you go. I haven't seen Star Wars Resistance. I don't think you have. Uh, a little bit. I think I've, uh, maybe five episodes. It's really, it's really young. It's really, it's really young. But is it young the way I think Forces of Destiny is young, where it's clearly for little kids but kind of artistic, yeah, or is it just yeah, like annoying yeah. characters? No, no, no. It's 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 the latter. It's it's close to Forces of Destiny. Okay, it's just not that great. It's really for it's it's really low uh, brain activity. Not that three year olds and four year olds can't be intelligent. It's just like mm-hmm. it's just there's not a lot going on. That one's hard to watch. Well, I will continue to recommend Forces of Destiny to people because I actually don't think that's a low brain power thing. I actually think within two to two and a half minutes of Ray, Jin, Sabine, Hera, and some of Leia, and some of our favorite female heroines and male heroines, there's so much going on, dude. In a two minute episode, we see Annika, Ahsoka, and Padme, and while we all know that Ahsoka must have known about Padme and Anakin. Forces of Destiny is the first thing to deal with that. And, the, I mean, the whole point of the episode is a two-minute battle where they almost all die, and of course they survive, but it's Ahsoka as usual with her eyes and face performance and Ashley's performance, watching Anakin, watching Padme, watching mm-hmm. Anakin, watching mm-hmm. Padme, and then Padme and Ahsoka, after Anakin's after they hug and Anakin leaves, have like a bro moment at the end where Ahsoka says <laughs> without saying like, it's cool, girl, I got your back, which right. how, how can you not love? Filoni. <laughs> Filoni for president. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for being on. I can't wait awesome. to uh, release this as two parts. Uh, again, the reason the, the, the Raylo discussion took so long was because I had to do the Rogue One thing where I separated us a little bit because we were both saying good stuff over each other. This was, we're, we're getting better. We're getting better. I think yeah, man. W- when we don't take three months off, <laughs> I think the chemistry comes together more quickly on subsequent episodes. But you know what? Sometimes you can't help it. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. We're getting back in business. We're back. We're back, we're baby. Back. We're back. Um, uh, Anything to share from the semi world? Yo, my back has been fucked up for the past five weeks. Shout out! Oh, I'm learning to golf. By the way, I'm learning to golf. I'd love to go golfing. So yeah, I've never golfed uh, before. Me and my dad are going on a golf vacation together. Enjoy golfing's fun. It's a can't wait. It's a sadist sport. But yeah, threw my back out. But the last two days have been like the best two days uh, in the last uh, four weeks. What have you been watching? 
of pain. So shout-outs to Muscle Relaxers and, and as always, Anheuser-Busch. Uh, get at us. Appreciate your sponsorships, number one. What, what did you watch during all this pain? I know you watch TV. More so uh, video games. Lots of video games. Went back Tell to Far, Far Cry 3, really into Tiger Woods Golf right now. It's so funny. We both like Ubisoft games, but I like Assassin's Creed the Tom Clancy games, and you like the Far Cry games. It's very funny. Yep, yep. Going back through Far Cry, uh, uh, Tiger Woods Golf, and then uh, mm. co- college football, as you I don't know if you're a soccer guy. Have you played FIFA before, especially the P- PS3 version? I have not. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll probably get into it. You you have a few of the PS3 things for me, so I, I I gotta get into it. If you like soccer at all, or you just like the idea of strategy in a sports video game, I, I can't recommend it enough because when you first play it, you're doing you know you know all the NHL games over the years, the EA, yeah. you know. You're passing. You're passing and shooting. You're passing, you're hitting. You're passing and shooting. So your first instinct with FIFA, even with all the players, is kick it up the field as quick as possible and shoot for the goal. But you will get murdered even by easy level if you do that. You have to play in your passes, you know, the way the Spaniards play, the way the Brazilians play. Right, you have to kick the ball around. You have to get into, like, a diamond or whatever. And you still have to do the thing where you run down the sideline and then you kick the ball in the middle and hope that Ronaldo can head it in the goal, which is glorious. Now, the new games, like all Electronic Arts games, this is the Star Wars connection. You know, they've got the microtransactions where you have to, like, buy Messi in addition to the game. Fuck that. The PS3 versions you have, you don't have to worry about that whatsoever. In fact, even on my PS4, I went back and bought a FIFA 2014 version just to not deal with it. It doesn't matter about the graphics. They're all the same. It's extremely fun. Okay, any other video games? I'll let you go. No, no, that's what I'm. That's what I'm. That's what I'm doing. Oh, Any that uh, you finished in the last sort of couple of months that we didn't talk about? I'm. I'm finished. I finished uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto Five, and then I'm also finishing. I'm in the last stage of Grand Theft Auto Four. I got a little bored of it, so that's why I picked up uh, golf and back through Far Cry Three. And then I always. Sammy, always there are so many golf. great open world games, even ones that are similar to Grand Theft Auto that are so much better. I can't fault you for Far Cry. I know tons of people who love Far Cry. I t- I like Ubisoft. I get Far Cry. Grand Theft Auto is occasional bizarre violence and sex with just driving around with nothing going on. Oh, uh, I don't know. If you do all the the different different missions, okay. they're not okay. bad. They're very comparable to okay. uh, Red, Red Dead Redemption. Right, and they're both Rockstar games. The difference is Red Dead Redemption is considered to have two of the greatest stories and characters of all time, even though I'm not super into it, and Grand Theft Auto is extremely influential. Whatever. I mean, look, if you're enjoying it, God bless you. I love open world games. For PS3 is pretty amazing. Look, my final thought here, I'm really going to let you go, is that I love that even though it's not the same games, that you, with the PS3, which is very similar to the PS4, that you love open-world exploratory games because those are my favorite as well. Yeah, man. It's, they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. And by the way, uh, The Last of Us Part Two is definitely confirmed, and it is going to be a little bit more open-world and less linear, so that will be interesting. But it's going to be PS4, yeah? Maybe PS5, but that's a different story. Yeah. Fucking savages. All right, man. This was All great. All right, dude. Thank you time. so much. Send my love to Reina. I love her. She's very patient with me, stealing your time, so I really appreciate it. 
And uh, how's the new place? It's great, man. It's really great. Really awesome. uh, almost there. Got to get the awesome. art up. Then we're done. Well, it's only 8 o'clock, so before you're ready for even, you'll be getting the link for these podcasts. So thank you so much, Simi. As always, I have to ask you, between Phantom Menace, Last Jedi, the next two Rebels episodes, or blank, what would be your preference for next week or the week after to tease the Bizzlecast listeners? I I think we should do Last Jedi. I, I think mean, so too. We're close enough to or, nine. Or it makes Phantom. Sense. I'm ready for Phantom Last Jedi, and then we'll we'll get back to some Marvel thing. But uh, you know, and and to take care of this Avengers one. But um, oh, that was my actual last point, which was I am sorry I couldn't wait for you for Endgame, but there were reasons. There are many reasons. Wait, is it Endgame or the next one? No, I did a full solo commentary of Endgame. Oh, you did already. All right, we can do it again later. Then we'll hold it off. It wasn't personal, man. It was just business. It wasn't personal. Just business. Just business. And, right. and I knew that I was going to get more amped for it, like I always do, than normal. And it, it's lucky for you that I did it solo because I would have been interrupting you even more than usual. Um, but <laughs> I actually agree about Last Jedi because we can do episode one and or three anytime leading up to the Obi-Wan series next year or beyond. We are getting very close to episode nine. Last Jedi makes sense. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. All right, guys. So next week or two, Simi and I are going to do the fucking Last Jedi, and I can't wait. Great, man. Have a great one. We'll talk to you. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been the Rizzlecast. <laughs> Rose Tico for president. Uh, it, may the force be with you. And Simi, take us out. Oh, I told me